He didn't tell us there'd be an audience. I, I think I did, but okay. All right, so uh, all kidding aside, you can hear either hear us or hear through the speakers. Okay. Um, and uh, I think it's recording, and uh, I don't know. Recording no. on what? Now, uh, now, on, now we've been through things. that. I think it's recording once before. Is anybody, has anybody been listening long enough that they remember years ago when we tried to do an episode from Ponca City Pancake Breakfast? This goes way back, okay? It goes way back. Um, and what happened when we did that episode is I had a mixer board, and it was plugged into my laptop, all right? And it was recording on my laptop. At the time, we were using a piece of software called Audacity. If you, anybody who does audio might know Audacity. Audacity is a pretty good um, little uh, you know, audio editing and recording system, but yep. it has one bad behavior, and that is that it will sometimes change its input source. So I started out, and it was tested it, and it was recording the mixer board, but something happened that blipped it, and suddenly, without rewarning me, it was recording the microphone on my laptop. All right? And so we were recording this entire episode, and I was trying to figure out why their voices didn't seem to indicate you know, the same way everywhere until later on I realized that we didn't really hear. So that was a lost episode. That was the last time we recorded an episode from a picnic table. And so this whole thing <laughs> made me a little nervous looking at this this morning. And it was another place with airplane noise. So. But uh, everything seems to be recording. And uh, anyways... My other concern is, Jeb, uh, you're not going to start this morning's episode with a uh, risque story, right? Oh, come on. Far be it from me. Yeah, to... right. Okay. I don't know if anybody's had a chance to listen to yesterday's daily, but... Uh, oh, did you put that in? I did not put it in. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just warning you, this time I can't cut it out, all right? Because people are listening, all right? Okay. In other words, he doesn't want Thanks, us to Dad. add, he yeah. doesn't want us to, add so, to his editing uh, workload. Right. Anyways... Um, Hi, guys. How are you doing? Amy's supposed to join us, too. I don't know whether she maybe has gotten delayed or, or, or just found something more fun to do, but uh, Amy may be joining us, and uh, we'll also we'll just kind of chat with everybody. So, uh, Well, Charlie was floating around here And somewhere. Charlie's going to be Charlie's here, too. Yeah, somewhere. so uh, um, what else is going on? You, 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 you're up. You made it. You're here. You got your coffee. So you're I, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm That's showered. at least his second cup. I'm, I'm he should shaved, be. I'm coffeed. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for my nap. Yeah, yeah I know. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a great location. It is. This is a really nice. I mean, not only the little venue here with the picnic tables and all, but down here on the edge of the flight line, and uh, this is very near where we used to do the uh, um, end the, the uh, radio show when we were. Remember the old radio station building? Was, right. Was right over here by right. the uh, by the uh, Brown Arch. And uh, some of those, that, one of my favorite all-time episodes is the one that we recorded, the very first right. Air Venture episode that we did from the uh, from the radio what the radio station deck was down here on the on the flight line, and uh, because because what happened was that morning they were um, taxiing and doing run-ups right at that intersection, and so what would happen is that they would just get out in front of us and uh, and do the uh, do the run-ups and. You can speak. It's very casual. We're all friends here. Okay, I'm good. Is this better like this? Yes. Okay. Somebody yesterday told me that these are very directional microphones. Yeah, okay. I can't remember uh, who that was. Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, so uh, that was another one, another instance of, of the adventures of recording audio because we uh, we were we, they were doing run-ups and sometimes big aircraft right down in front of us, and that was very cool. But what would happen is that it, the run-ups were so loud. And, and we were at the time wearing, you know, kind of headset mics, you know, with, with the microphone and whatnot. Um, and, but it, the run-ups were so loud that we could not hear each other just standing next to each other. And Which I'm, actually was beneficial in yeah, some ways. I was, I was standing there recording this going, oh, my gosh, this is going to be terrible. Oh, what are we going to do? And uh, fortunately, the uh, microphones kind of isolated the noise enough. And, but the energy of the, of the noise and the run-ups was very, very cool. It, it went over well. Yeah, it was a nice episode. We had a good time that day. And uh, we've done we get a, a little of, of the same ambiance from the announcer stand on Sunday morning. Yeah. So, uh, but this is a different one here. We, was, we've been doing these things from the announcer stands for so long. And, and sometimes people come and they want to you know, listen in, but it's just not conducive down there on those to uh, have people to listen. So uh, last fall, we reached out to our friend Charlie Becker here of the Home Builders Group and uh, said, Can you, could we do something here somewhere? 
And uh, he and I talked about it a little bit, and he said, this is a good spot right here, and I think he's right, um, so that we could have people come in and, and, uh, and you know, participate and listen and meet you guys. And so this is where we are, and this is why we are. Um, well, the nice thing about this spot is that we're overlooking the area that is filled with the kind of airplanes that EAA was started to support. I, I really do like that aspect of it. Yeah, I was talking with someone this morning about how all the other all the divisions are really fascinating. You know, the Warbirds and the Vintage and the Ultralights, it's all great stuff. But but home building is, is to me anyways, seems to be the heart of EAA. And uh, so it's it's really great to be down here doing this. And uh, although Jeb and I are not builders, David, you're, you're a builder. You've been a builder a couple times you're in the process now right in the process now yeah you want to give us a report you want to tell us how that's going what's sure it's been slow uh the uh building a sun xyx uh did the shopping at sun and fun a few years ago sat in the three airplanes that were my candidates decided that the smallest one was the best because it was the fastest of the three that i looked at and then later on bought the quick build kit and off to a running start right after we got the shop organized and everything stored properly. And uh, then my workload started to go up. And it went up the next year, and it's gone up again this year. And as it's gone up, my progress on the airplane has gone down. But the flip side of it is it's going to be a cash airplane. You know, everything's paid for because work's been so good. And one of the things I was looking forward to here in particular was the inspiration of seeing other airplanes built and their panels and hearing the stories from some of the builders to fire my butt up so that I can get back to it when I get back to Wichita next week. So, uh, but the kit's been really well. It was really well put together. It's not been difficult to work on or assemble. It's just been difficult for me to get the time that I need. So, mm-hmm. onward and upward. Um, I'd like to say that next year we could be talking about me flying it here. That's my ambition. That would be great. And it's similar to the ambition last year and the ambition the year before. (laughs) And my experience is that's no different from just about every other builder. It's going to be be finished next month. He'll he'll fly it to AirVenture. The question is, which AirVenture? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. What's that airplane? That's cool. I like that. Biplane, closed cockpit, closed cabin. Anybody know what kind of airplane that is? Name that? Yeah? Does anybody know what kind of airplane that is? Can you name that model? No? Really? Okay. If anybody comes up with an idea, hold your hand up and say, Jack, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we go much further, I decided I wanted to do this on this particular episode. Normally, we don't do this during our dailies here this bit. I'm going to say, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I think you're all friends, though. But I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, here from uh, our, one of our favorite places in the world, uh, and uh, with with a bunch of folks. For those who are listening on the stream later on, we got a nice crowd here. This is terrific. Thank you all for coming out first thing in the morning. Um, and uh, I'm here with my two good friends. Uh, we're going to be talking about airplanes. Amy may join us. I'm not sure. We've got a couple of guests who are going to come up, and I'm hoping some of you will talk with us as well. Um, this is uh, Dave Higdon, uh, normally from Wichita, Kansas, but now you're here. And, uh, you know, came in Thursday just afternoon, and probably the more among the more entertaining first three days of my trips up here that I've had in a few years. In in what regard? Because of the weather. Because of the weather. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty. It was it, it was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. Getting in and out of the campsite has given me a deeper appreciation for all-wheel drive. <laughs> it's been pretty muddy out there. Yeah, wouldn't be a UCAP episode if we didn't talk about weather. And uh, and Je- and uh, Jeb Burnside, normally from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, and you also came. We all. It was really. We, we all arrived on Thursday. All arrived some, on Thursday, some, which you know by by car, some by air. Doesn't normally happen that way. We usually arrive at various times throughout the week, mm-hmm. but. Uh, you had a little bit of an adventure getting well, not a big adventure, but uh, you know, you flew up and they they said they sent you on the uh, sawtooth pattern, right? You, you zigged and zagged. Yeah, and they, they came up IFR and went around the west end, west side of Chicago, and and uh, motored along uh, after I stopped for gas, and uh, they gave me a. I'm sorry, it was before that, before I stopped for gas, uh, gave me a little dog leg clearance, and that. Punched it in, turned to the heading and all that, and uh, then I reached over and, and twisted the knob to, t- to tell me how much fuel I'd have on arrival at my destination, and there was not enough. Uh, uh, for my airplane, it's uh, less than 20 gallons, and that's just too little. 
So um, diverted, landed, topped off, got a coke, got a cup of coffee, uh, that kind of thing, and, and motored on in the rest of the way. It's like an hour fifteen from there. So mm-hmm. where where'd you land? <sighs> yeah, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, I could I could find it on a chart, but I can't tell you the identifier. <laughs> Four Flight told you that this was a good idea, and that's where you went. Four Flight said they had fuel, you know. So yeah. So, uh, um, and then you got, but you arrived uh, sort of late that afternoon. You have one of the primo parking spaces. I do. Yeah, I, I do. I got, I got really lucky. We we when you arrived, we were texting to kind of hook up, and you said you were in row five hundred two, and I'm thinking row five hundred two is the five hundreds have got to be on the far side of the North Forty. I mean, way over there, um, and uh, somewhere near Ripon. Yeah, and so then he said, uh, you know, I said well, we'll try and come and get you because we're thinking five hundred two. He's over on the far side near Basler, and we can go drive over there, and then he can walk out, and we can pick him up. And he says, no. He says, I'm, he says, I'm near the registration booth, the, the the camp, you know, the campsite, you know, North Forty registration. And I'm thinking, well, that's not row five hundred. That can't be right. And uh, so we got in the car and and uh, and wanted, this was like still on Thursday. Still Thursday, yeah. And so although they were somewhat secure, um, we actually managed to talk our way past like three different security guards. And uh, and I was so glad for the, for the little elements, quiet exhaust, because we didn't wake up to a. Yeah, that's right. It was a little so we just cruised in and 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 managed to drive all the way down. Where are we here? So those of you who know the grounds, um, the the sort of near corner of the North Forty is over there. The yeah, over that way, and uh, we were able to drive all the way in there and drive. And we actually drove back onto the sort of what is strictly speaking the field, and then out onto the grass, right, right up next to the airport. Right so he's like in practice. So it turns out they've renumbered the rows, and row five hundred two is what they used to call row two. And uh, and so he's at the very very near end of row two, and uh, I'm, and I'm sure with the gra- campground having been closed occasionally, there are people who are cursing this airplane sitting there with nobody camping. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally totally down with that, by the way. <laughs> well, it, it it didn't occur to me when we were picking Jeb up, but he is just about parked in the exact same spot where in 2010 I photographed a bonanza for the show daily that had come in two and a half weeks earlier. And by the time I got the shot, the North 40 was closed. There was standing water, and the Bonanzas got water around the mains up above the axle. And that was a picture we put on the front page of the paper the first day. That was the dubbing of Splashkosh. Splashkosh, yeah. Which people tried to dub this one Splashkosh, too, but it really wasn't. Yeah. It was Splashkosh, too, the dampening. Yeah, it was... You're really selling this, aren't you? You like oh, this, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. This is the, sec- the, the, uh, the uh, sequel. Charlie, would you come in and join us? So, uh, why don't you go down there? There's microphones yeah. and headphones, and uh... he's been taking an online course in radio production. So, and uh, can you hear us well enough? You all, yeah, I, I hear everything. Okay, right. good. Um, Charlie Becker. Charlie is a, a EA staffer. He's the head, and I don't know your official title, and you're going to tell me, but I, he's the head guy for uh, chapters and home builds and other stuff, right? What, those, those are the two primary roles. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how are things going so far? But first of all. Thank you for having us here. We really oh, appreciate hey, it. Uh, I was excited. This idea came out of uh, a conversation we had. Was it at Sun and Fun or before that? I, I think it was remember. last fall. Last fall, I, I that's think it was right. As, as early as last fall. I think yeah. I pinned you down at Sun and Fun that we were actually going to do this. Yep, you did it. You so. did, as a matter of fact, yeah. And, uh, and we then I didn't it. hear anything for like three months. Well, or, that's, you know. It's, so, oh, oh yeah. so he was on time. <laughs> for what it's worth, we loved the idea from the very beginning. We were just, you know, it's just our normal put it off, put it off, put it off. But I'm so, amazed you guys already made it through the weather. Uh yeah, well, you yeah. know it was an experience <laughs> yeah, worth enjoying. No, we talked about the weather. Yeah, we did. We got we, we touch. We're gonna check all the boxes this morning, and uh, we actually did the announcement. And we'll probably do that other thing at the end that we always do. See, in this format, you can actually see if people are shouting at their yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was talking with one of you this morning who had a great idea, and that is that we have this uh, the there, that there should be a the you should be able to throw the what you what you call it throw the BS flag. All right. Which, <laughs> Which I think is actually a great idea. All right, uh, that, that like, visual would just occupy the whole hour. <laughs> yeah, so. I know, right? But uh, you know, it's like instead of yelling at your iPod or you know banging on your uh, whatever. Well, we like, have we'll we'll have some of those uh, printed up in time for Sunday fun. So, yeah. so we're going to make them like NFL flags so that they travel a little bit. <laughs> 
Charlie, what's going on down in this area of the show? Some changes here this year. Yeah, I like to say improvements. But, uh, yeah, a lot of changes, a lot of improvements. Uh, as you can see right across from Homebuilders headquarters, we have that new home-built and review area, which is already i think it's already been a success and you know we really haven't even gotten the word out on it but it allows us to roll a couple of aircraft up and actually have the builders or the uh designer talk about the aircraft today we have the little toot big toot which was just in the magazine the big toot is good story very uh ea member 64 uh had designed the little toot and now his son tommy um has designed the big toot and it's a great story, great EA story, very good supporters of the organization. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to have a cozy Mark IV and a long easy over there. Uh, uh, Thursday, Dick Van Grenzen is going to be there talking about the RV4 anniversary, as well as talking about that RV5 that's parked across from their booth as well. Mm-hmm. And then, the, on, the only RV5. The only RV5. And that's a great story. And then the uh, on Friday, we got Bert over there talking about ostensibly the long easy yeah that'll <laughs> we'll that, see where it goes that'll attract a couple that'll, people that right, will yeah. attract some attention <laughs> yeah um yesterday afternoon you did what was it what's it called the delta dyke is that what yeah it? we did the dyke delta dyke delta excuse me and uh did i read someplace that that not only that model but that particular airplane was the first airplane to land at the first ea fly-in yeah well the first ea fly-in in oshkosh, in oshkosh. Okay. well i I, I should correct myself. The first EA fly-in. Yes, okay, tell the story. Yeah, okay, there's a, there's, um, a, there's a little exception here. Yeah, so in the early days of EAA, we were in Milwaukee, and then they tried to find a different location. They tried Oshkosh in 1956, and it rained for like three straight days, and nobody had a good time, and they all went back, uh, and then they found Rockford, and it was there. And then we came here in, uh, uh, what was it, 70, I think, right? Okay, yeah. is that... 50. Anyway, so then we've been here 50 consecutive years. So the 50 is actually 50 consecutive fly-ins. We've actually had 51 here, yeah, okay. if you count that one in 56. Yeah. And that was courtesy of the airport manager, Steve Whitman, yep. talking to Paul and inviting him. said, come up here. we got space. We- That's right. Yeah. And the weather remains a challenge. <laughs> no, we've had great weather. It's wonderful weather. Yeah, it was a little Since warm, the show started. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, one of and this is not Slosh Gosh 2. Well, as no. it probably is, but as we all know, sequels are no not not as good as the that's first right. one. That's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> this isn't nearly as bad. That's right. It's gonna yeah. This what is it going to be? The it's going to be the odd number rainy years that are the better ones, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a Star Trek tribute. You didn't get that. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the but things, let me fit. I, yeah, I, did, I only touched on the uh, the improvements, so I want to just more uh, more. Yes, thank you. Go ahead and finish that off. So. Where that home building review area is um, was the home build cafe, which has now moved a little bit to the north, and a little a little to the north used to be where we had all the home building exhibitors. They've now shifted south to put them really right in the at the hub of the home built area. So I feel like it really you know helped form one cohesive area, and then uh, we also. There's a road west of Whitman that runs north-south where we moved the Air Venture Today building, which yep. you guys uh, remember. Yep. And that was oh, pretty, yeah. pretty much like right in the middle of the road, so the road had to go out and around it. And we so we've straightened that road out. We've paved a bunch of the surfaces in here. So I think it's working out really nice. It looks very nice. Those it's, are the main improve, yeah, improvements. Yeah, no, it, it looks year. very nice. So we were... We, we were we came in here Thursday afternoon like I said we drove in and so we were we took advantage of the fact that we were you know inside security and we were just like touring the place and we came over here and we were almost a little bit disoriented down here because yeah. the things a little know, bit like we're a looking for bit. landmarks and we're going away that there used to be a that's not here anymore where is it now you know and uh, but it didn't take long to kind of get our bearings and and yeah it's a nice a nice arrangement I think it's terrific and moving that was all the what the the north exhibit area or the home build exhibit area was always very exciting but it was a little bit uh, off in the distance you know and so moving it down here seems like a great thing i i like it a lot i like it a lot well and so many people would pass through it on their way to warbirds and not really notice it was there and i think charlie's right moving it down here closer to the heart of stuff uh it makes it feel more like part of the action down here so uh uh, yeah, I think once all of us are reoriented and used to the new layout, it, it'll be really, really yeah. helpful. Well, the, and the it won't road, take long either. Yeah, and the roadways are 
you know, they've been resurfed, you know, they've been created and paved and they're wider than, you know, we really didn't connect the rows up in the North aircraft display very well. We had kind of the one main drag and then the secondary drag, but there wasn't, there was not good cross flow. So this opens it up a lot. Yeah. We were literally standing on that new roadway. All right. This is where my desk was in in the the (laughs) newspaper. (laughs) We did so many years in that newspaper office. We were like uh, doing that. And uh, and I still think it would be a great idea if someone snuck in in the middle of the night and drew a chalk outline on the ground of the the floor plan plan of the – Charlie, you didn't hear that. It's okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, So – How's the One Week Wonder program going? What's what's the latest on that? Uh, it's going great. It's uh, If you're looking for it, if you were a part of that last year, it is over where it was born. Um, same location, different thing there. There's not a One Week Wonder tent this year. The aircraft is parked right there on what we call the Four, four Corners or EA Square. I'm not sure what we're calling it this year. Um, we tend to bounce around a little bit. I'm so bit on glad that, that you're, you're, that we're not the only ones that are confused by that. So, uh, anyway, um, it's over there. If you were part of pulling a rivet or more on that aircraft, your name is on the wings. Um, I will give you a hint. If you're looking at the aircraft like you're sitting in the pilot seat, day one is over on your left, and it goes chronologically from left to right. Ah, okay. um, so if you're uh, there on Sunday, you're, you're probably in the last wing panel on the right. Uh, but in between, you just kind of got to figure it out on your mm-hmm. own. Yeah. So yeah. that's been nice. I've got some of the volunteers back from last year that are kind of keeping an eye on the aircraft and talking it up. We've got some cards that we give out around that. Uh, we had it down at Sun and Fun. We took it over to Triple Tree for their um, – they kind of have a young aviators fly-in that they started mm-hmm. a year ago. And we yep. brought the one-week wonder there. And uh, Kyle, one of the guys from staff here, was down there with it, and he flew 50 flights in it. 50 different rides uh, for different people over the course of the, I think it was three days. So he really had it uh, going and just came back here. We just did the condition inspection and we're just finishing up the paperwork. And then it's heading out to Vans uh, immediately after the show. One of the Vans guys is going to bring it out. And it's kind of a nice story because uh, if you haven't heard about it, we have this new scholarship program called the uh, Ray Aviation Scholarship. Uh, the Ray Foundation gave us $1 million to distribute through our chapter network. So we have basically $110,000 scholarships for youth to get their private pilot certificate. And we've already had our first success, um, and we just started this program earlier in the year. And uh, uh, several solos and uh, people are closing in on it. Some of these kids are closing in on it. But the concept was that on the scholarship was that our chapters could do an effective job of identifying the kids that are hanging out around airplanes, around chapters that really have a passion for this. And so instead of the typical, you know, 20% or whatever it is, pass rate, we'd get it up to at least 80% or more. And that's looking like it's going to happen. Um, but to finish the story, so the aircraft's going back to cha- to uh, vans and then we're going to go to the, uh, uh, the 292 fly-in which is also kind of the van's homecoming and so one of the guys from van said hey i'm going back with an empty seat our ray aviation scholarship uh recipient alex is going to be at the show with us can he fly back in it we said sure if he signs the waiver we're good um so he's going to fly back in it and he's very close to finishing up his pilot's license, but mm-hmm. I was thinking, boy, what a great experience to be able to, Seriously. you know, do a long cross country like that with somebody that knows what they're doing. Um, you know, just kind of get the lay of how you pull something like that off, because you know we all do the 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 required private pilot cross country, but that doesn't really prepare you for dealing with the Rockies and you know going from yeah. Midwest to West Coast. So. Yeah be exciting so are you going to be doing the one week wonder program again and if so when well um yes we will it's been exciting the, the two times we've done it um i kind of look at like the olympics every four years sort of anything anything <laughs> less than that is too hard right. for me personally and all our volunteers and everybody involved it, you know everybody would like to see it done more but you know if you do the olympics every year it's not as exciting right. and i uh you know, I had a lot less gray hair when I started that program. Uh, well, I don't know about the gray hair <laughs> so. part, but I've, I've I've looked into your eyes towards that <laughs> that week, and yeah. and and yeah. it's some combination of exhilarated and exhausted. You know? Yeah. And so yeah. What people don't realize is, you know, 
you got seven days. When you do the one week wonder, you are going full tilt for seven straight days. Almost every other area has its peaks and valleys, but for that to get that done in seven days, you really can't let up. So most volunteer areas by Sunday afternoon, you're you know pretty much wrapping it up. Um, you know you're usually pushing really hard to get the airworthiness certificate finished up on Sunday afternoon and make sure you hit the deadline of being able to taxi it before the air show. What what are the, some of the parameters that you look for when choosing the airframe or the type of aircraft to construct for the one week wonder program? Well, for for me, the number one thing we're trying to do there is is promote the idea sure. of building your own aircraft. And so, you know, we we the the, the other two times we've specifically picked a pole rivet designed aircraft because you can get so many people involved in the process. You know, there's other ones we could probably get done a little quicker. Um, but, you know, some of them would take higher skill level. You know, not everyone's you – know, you can't get that many people involved in fabric. You can't – you know, so it, it does kind of narrow the choices down, and everybody gets a, you know, a huge kick out of being part of it. And so we – you know, the next time we do it, we'll probably focus in again on something that can you – know, you can introduce a lot of people to the concept. You know, we had over 3,000 people do some operation on building that aircraft. Yeah, it beats beats trying to stir a pot of composite epoxy. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, last year, I was alone here among the three of us. Jeb had been here and gone. Jack hadn't come yet. I'm looking for a daily. Looking for a daily. And I was walking up the square. And there's this big queue right out into the taxiway. And it was the one week wonder. People lined up for 100 feet to stand in line to pull a rivet and sign their name. So, uh, okay, this this should be easy. <laughs> and uh, started the podcast with the sound of the uh, rivet gun going with some people as they trained on the little oh, yeah, square board. Interviewed some of the people in line, and everybody I talked to was so fired up about getting in there and pulling a rivet and putting their name on it. And half of them had never touched a rivet gun or, uh, you know, a Cherry Max or any kind of airplane stuff. They wanted to see what it was like. And, well, you're going to come back for uh, when it's done. I hope to be here when it's done. You know, that was always a squishy thing. But, man, it was a lot of fun talking to those folks, how fired up they were that they could get a chance to touch and pull and move the project along. Yeah, I, I, I remember the first year you did that uh, program. And uh, just the, the wide-eyed excitement and wonderment on the rank-and-file attendees at the show. They were just uh, ecstatic to be able to do that and, and just brilliant. Yeah. Well, we, uh, you know, we purposely – we have some wonderful workshops that go on right over our left shoulder here, 830 and 1 every day, where we'll teach people for about three or three, three, three and a half hours, you know, how to do some sheet metal or composites or TIG welding or gas welding or fabric covering. But those are for people that came here and they kind of already had that in their head. We do that, you know, the one we go under right on the main drag because that's where you're going to get the people that really walked in. They may not even know much about EAA or, you know, they just heard about this thing in Oshkosh and they should go to it. And so those are the people we're trying to convince and, and open their minds and eyes to the fact that, hey, modern kit, kit technology, the average person can do this very easily in a reasonable amount of time. So that's, you know, that's kind of the goal is to get the people that weren't really already bought into the idea. And, of course, the real builders like to see it just for the whole, just like, wow, look how fast this is going together. <laughs> hey, I'm doing it right for a change. Yeah, yeah. Charlie, before we let you go, um, there's one other subject I, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about a little bit. Um, one of the things I've always admired, I don't know if that's the right word, I think it is, about you, um, envied, I guess is another word, um, is that you had a very uh, face-to-face and, dare I say, personal relationship with the EA founder, Paul Pobrezny. Um, and it was, yeah, I, was, I was sitting in on one of your... Uh, your uh, um, Home builder sessions yesterday, and you were told a story about how one of the, one of the earliest times you worked with him. But I, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but is there a Paul Pobrezny story you could tell us quickly here about uh, you know? Because a lot of us just ever, if we ever were in in the same room with him, it was because he was giving a talk, and you've apparently built airplanes with him. Oh yeah, so I'll just there's a lot of stories about Paul. Paul is a very uh, 
interesting and outgoing individual. And even though he had he was retired as president when I started in '99, he was still ever present in the offices and would wander in. And Paul would. This wasn't the story I was going to go with, but we're going to tell an extra one. You'd be in a meeting, you know, you'd be in some conference room, and Paul would just open the door, come in, sit down. Hey, what are we talking about here? <laughs> Throw out a few words of wisdom, get up and walk out. And it was just like complete drive-by, you know, to some meeting he had nothing about. But when you found the organization, you can pretty much do what you want. Yep, yep. But uh, the story I, was, I like to tell is, um, you know, I had heard that Paul wanted to build a replica of the Baby A's. In fact, um, it came about because he was sitting in the founder's wing, which was named after, you know, for him and and Audrey primarily, but we have the Mechanics Illustrated Baby Ace hanging over the the founder's wing, and he was looking at it during a memorial for one of our chapter members, and that's when it hit him. He'd like to see it, this aircraft be built because there's a story behind it. Paul was very much a student of history. He saved almost everything, um, and so he decided he wanted to do this, and he mentioned it to me, and I said, gee, I'd really like to be involved, and yeah, I've been around a Paul, you know, quite a bit over the years in the offices, things like that. I mean, Paul was, I don't know, he was in his mid-80s probably at, at least at the time that uh, he decided to do this. And I thought, okay, great, we're going to show up. He's going to say a few words. He's going to duck out. Um, and we'll see him at the end of the day, you know. <laughs> but I showed up, and the first day we were using a hacksaw to cut everything. And I was the youngest guy in the room by about 30 years. So I was doing all the hacksawing. Brought in a cutoff wheel the next day to fix that. But... I was amazed because he actually was there all day long working on the airplane, and so uh, that impressed me that in your mid eighties you'd you know you'd still be all in. And I guess the other thing I would add is that um, you know Paul was a very social person, and wherever he spent a lot of time, the aeroplane factory workshop, his office, whatever, you either had a fireplace or a bar, or both, <laughs> because he liked to <laughs> relax with people and get to know them and. You know, that was very conducive to making that happen. Nice, nice. I got a question for Charlie yeah. before we let him go. How's the Super Cub come in? Well, you mean the Pirate Cub. Oh, the Pirate Cub. The Pirate, Pirate Cub, right. The Pirate Cub, as you know, is a uh, complete ripoff of a, a, a PA-18 Super Cub with a few mods. The main thing for me is doors on both sides. I know a lot of people who have who say that that's a bad idea. Sacrilege. But I just want a dirt bike of the air. That's the goal. And uh, it's coming okay. Me and my friend John are actually building two of them. Kind of fraternal twins. And the worst thing I did was I hired John Egan to work for me as chapter manager about two or three years ago. And so whenever we, like, we generally work on them together. And now with him working here, either because I oversee chapters and he's in chapters... Usually one of us is on the road at the time, the other one's not. So it's really put a dent in the building schedule. But I believe that I have figured out my rib design. And, in fact, I've got them sitting out in the thing across the field here because uh, I'm getting a couple of people's opinion. I've static load tested the wing uh, with the help of Brian Carpenter's uh, guidance on how to do that. So I'm f- pretty happy with how this rib – not the wing, I'm sorry, the rib. I'm pretty happy uh, with how that's turned out. So I think – as soon as I can get the sheet metal to build up the rest of the ribs, I'll be able to move on to the wings. And um, I was all set to drive down to Aircraft Spruce's brand-new facility down in Chicago and buy it because I want, like, four-by-eight sheets of sheet metal, and you don't want to pay the shipping on that kind of thing if you can avoid it. And I just found out yesterday they, they don't yet have sheet goods in stock at the new <laughs> facility because they said they're already doing a bunch of orders every day on, on everything else. But Now, when you get it finished... Is, is there going to be a skull and crossbones on the nose art? Um, maybe. I haven't decided exactly on that. If you know, if you've seen the logo, yeah, you, uh, you already I, do have that. I have no. Art. It's the Piper Cub logo modified with an eye patch and uh, some other things. But um, so I don't know if there'll be skull and crossbones or not. But there'll definitely be a cub on there for sure. Arg. Yeah, no, you were on the podcast, I don't know, last summer or whenever it was, sometime in the last year, and you told us a little bit about this cub, and, and you referred to it as the Pirate Cub, mm-hmm. and so as I do when I'm putting these episodes together, at the end I, I needed an image, some sort of picture to make the thumbnail, and, and what I 
I did what I usually do. I thought, oh, somebody must, if I just Google pirate cub, I, that might produce some interesting images. And so I did, and then suddenly discovered that you actually have a website with a piece of Well, I have a Facebook page, yeah. Yeah, a Facebook page. And so uh, that's what we used on that episode way back when. So On that note, I should mention for our... Uh Ford Trimotor taking off right in front of us. Very cool. Well, I'll mention two things, and then I'll go. Uh, the Trimotor is always out here operating because we actually hop rides all during the week. So if you want to see Air Venture from the the, the air, the Trimotor is probably going to be a great yeah, way to do very that. Very cool ride. I did if it you, a, if you didn't ago, fly yeah. yourself in. Yeah. And hopefully you weren't looking at the grounds while you <laughs> flew in. Um, so if you want to see it from the air while you got somebody else flying the uh-huh. plane, that, yep. that's a good idea. Um, the second thing was what? We are talking about Pirate Cub. Oh, yes. We have a new offering for the home builder, so I should just mention it. So um, one of the things you have to do when you build your own aircraft is you have to document that you you actually did the building of it. And obviously, you can do that with photos and things like that. But uh, worked with a, vol- uh, a, a, a guy that developed our Young Eagle software. And so now we kind of have an online builder's log that we're going to roll out. If you want to take a look at that or sign up, you just have to be an EA member to use it. Just go to myea.org and sign up for an account. So, Dave, I expect you to go ahead and do that for the uh, the YX. I think you're doing a YX, right? right? Yeah. And uh, it's just a way to post photos, share files, document the build that will be acceptable to the FAA, as well as an ability to share it with other people. Uh, the Facebook page I do for the Pirate Cub, it's facebook.com slash pirate cub if you're interested. Um but this one is more for, I'd say, like the people that are serious builders, whereas the, the Facebook is more just for sharing with, you know, friends, family, that kind of thing. Well, the EAA has a, a package that it, they can, members can buy, if I remember correctly, that has the documentation and requirements in it, and it helps yep. get them started with and, some guidance. Yeah, we have a certification kit when you get to that point where you're getting close to where you need to register and then certify the aircraft with the FAA inspection. We have a what we call a amateur belt certification kit. We price it extremely low. It's like twelve or thirteen bucks for a member, and that includes your data plate, your sticker, your experimental sticker, uh, labels for everything in the cockpit, plus a very detailed step-by-step checklist approach to how to get through the paperwork. Because uh, you can get sideways pretty quick if you don't have some guidance on that. Thanks. Very cool. Thank you, Charlie. We appreciate your uh, stopping by, and thank you for letting us be here again. We appreciate that. We'll be back again on Friday morning, uh, as you know, and uh, I hope everybody knows. So uh, um, this is great. Thank you. Anything else you want to tell us about what's going on here before you run away? Well, I would just say that uh, come check out one of the Home Boats in Review every day, 10 and 1 o'clock, and I think you'll find some interesting content there. They're about 30 minutes long is kind of what we've been running. We don't have a hard stop time, so it kind of depends on audience questions. And uh, I have my stringer, Mary Jones, taking photos for us. Some of you Hi, might, Mary. Hey, uh, Mary. <laughs> some of you might remember Mary as uh, editor of both the Experimenter and uh, Sport Aviation magazine before she retired from EA a few years ago. So she still comes out and volunteers for me. So thank you, Mary. So all the Facebook posts that are going up this week on the Home Builders Facebook page are probably her ghostwriting that. So... Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for steering us in this direction. So um, it's really great to see all you guys here. So I'm assuming that you're all sitting here and paying attention because you are existing listeners, right? um, I'm just kind of curious, how many of you have been listening to the podcast? And I'm not talking like going back and listening to old ones. It started listening over two years ago. Yeah, okay. Oh, wow. Over five years ago. Wow! Over over you know seven years ago, anybody anybody goes back to year one started listening in year one three four five six people. Wow! Thank you. That's very nice. We appreciate it. Very much appreciate. Y'all's tolerance. Excuse me. (laughs) Tolerance for monotony is to be admired. Yeah, your tolerance for Dave is to be appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) So. You know, every every time we do one of these, we try and invent some subjects that we can talk about, and, and we've mixed you know results and, and success with that. But I think one of the, to me, one of the great things of having you all here is to find out what you would like to hear us talk about or, or not talk about. Does anybody have a question or a subject that that we ought to be? Somebody must be something. Yeah. Now hang on. See, now I've tricked you. This is a trick. This was a trick. Okay. <laughs> 
Just now you're trick. trapped. Why don't you come up here and sit on the edge of the bench? What What is your name again? Well, yeah. <laughs> I just want to know what your real stance is on user fees. Yeah, okay. Now, I think we heard you. Say it into the microphone one more time, please. Okay, my name's Terry Mortimer from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And I've been a listener for a long time, but I, I just want to formally ask you, what's your real stance on the user fees? <laughs> As if we haven't made it clear. Exactly. Yeah. Let, uh, let, let me let me sum it up this way. <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah. It's thank you. Bad. I, I don't know. It's a bad. I, well, I don't know. Is it a bad idea? Uh, the, the existing fuel tax does an admirable job without the bureaucracy. Uh, of funding aviation infrastructure in the United States, period. And we're already paying user fees in an indirect way. There's a fuel tax on the fuel that we buy. There's a tax on the airline tickets that we buy. There's a tax on the package express stuff that we send, cargo shipments. It's not free now, but it's just built into such a simple system as opposed to the bureaucracy that would be required to collect user fees, account for the user fees, make sure everybody's paying them, and then the distribution. And it would take more people and cost more money to do that that wouldn't go toward the infrastructure work that we need. And if there's not enough money in the kitty to fund needed aviation system improvements, raise the fuel tax. Yeah, and it wouldn't have to be much. A couple of cents per gallon would offset what we lack. But right now, we're not lacking. Are, Are there countries around the world that use a user fee structure? (laughs) <laughs> Canada. Yeah. An annual fee, he's saying. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can hear. I will try and, and pump that up a little bit. Um, do you not also have fees for specific services? Do, yeah, you, do you not also have fees for specific services? No, not really. Like I said, uh, to repeat it, it, there's an annual uh, Nav Canada fee, and they actually they just lowered the price. It was 75 bucks a year ago. It's down to 68, I think now, for every airplane you pay that fee, and it's a one-time fee. It doesn't matter how much you fly. Uh, as in the states, we have the odd airport that has a uh, landing fee. Sure. Uh, but you can avoid those if uh, exactly exactly. So uh, that. That usually doesn't work out well for them. Uh, we just avoid them. And, uh, but there are some big airports that you go into, they, you buy, they pay a fee, and there's no getting around it. But, but other than that, no, the fuel tax, and uh, that's about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't, don't go away. What's COPA? Canadian Owners and it's, Pilots Association. It's, it's on his shirt, for those yeah. of you who are not here. Um, it's the Canadian AOPA. Ah, okay. Yeah, Canadian version of the AOPA. Okay, yeah. And... Uh, so you said you're from Sault Ste. Marie, is that what you said? Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, yeah. yeah. Right at the top end of Michigan. I, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar. I drove through there one time. It's a very pretty area, very interesting with yeah, the, the canals going cool. through, connecting the lakes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I actually crossed over into Canada and drove, drove. I was on my way home from the West Coast. And, and they let you back in the States? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, these days, well, no, no we won't even go there. Yeah. <laughs> no politics. No that, tra- politics. that tracker on your car just, yeah, just right, failed yeah. right then. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I was... This was my road trip where I uh, I drove across the country. Uh, I went coast to coast. This is long before the podcast. I drove coast to coast from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean without ever driving on an interstate highway, um, which was really yeah, it was quite an interesting experiment uh, experience. Um, and uh, I and I almost it's really interesting as you this was has nothing to do with airplanes. I'm sorry. Um, it's kind of hard some places. I, I always figured, you know, there's all these little back roads, and you just like it might take longer, but I'll, I've got plenty of time. Um, and there are parts of the country, at least parts of the country that I drove through, where it's really hard to find a road. You know, there'll be a locally, you know, like a state route, you know, numbered road, that, but that also uses interstate pavement, all right? And so, and my rule was I couldn't even go on it. If it was labeled as interstate highway pavement, I couldn't drive on it. Um, and there are places, particularly out in the in the area of the Rockies, where to get through a pass, there's basically one roadable route to get through a, a mountain pass, and the interstate highway system has co-opted it. So, you know, it's also labeled, you know, Wyoming Route 6 and, and you know, County Route AO and, you know, whatnot, but it's also interstate whatever, set 90 or whatever. So, yeah, well, I did that. And I ended up in Sault Ste. Marie. That, that's the whole point of the story. I, I kind of went, I came through here, as a matter of fact. This is a very different place in like April, <laughs> um, 
Uh, it's it's very pretty, but boy, is it quiet, you know. And uh, you stand at the edge of the field, and the, my comment at the time was, though, I, you, you stand at the edge of the North 40, up where we do the tie-down party, as a matter of fact, and you look out onto the field, and although it's just empty, and it feel, in one way feels very different, in another way, it's kind of my no joke, my thought at the time was, the force is strong in this place, <laughs> you know, because you could kind of, yeah. no airplanes, you could still feel it. Drove through here, went up to Sault Ste. Marie, very pretty. North, you've ever never been up there, go up to the north shore of the uh, of Lake Michigan and cut across the upper, what do they call it, the Upper Peninsula? Is that UP, what they call the it? UP. Yeah. Yeah, the UP. The Upper Peninsula, and then, uh, and then I, and I popped out into Canada and drove across. It was nice. Um, any well, other questions? What, what else do you want to know about? You know, I mean, come on, you've been listening this long, we've explained everything. It's, you can tell a story if you come on up here. Ooh, ooh, there you go. Careful, don't trip. There you got it. Okay, good. I, uh, I'm going to sit by Jeb. <laughs> tell us your name. We know your name, but you tell everybody else what your name Pat is. Pat Storm is my name. Pat Storm. Um, Pat, we met Pat a long, long time ago. Did you actually start flight training since we've started the podcast, right? I or? actually started flight training uh, about the same time you started the podcast, but I didn't discover the podcast for about a year. So my story is how uh, UCAP links to the Ray Scholarship. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, because when I was started my flight training, I was in southern Missouri, and I was driving three hours to go to some place where I could take a lesson. Wow. It's a long trip, so I discovered this podcast. <laughs> and this podcast basically kept me going. Um, eventually, I gave up the three-hour drive and bought a Tomahawk and finished my license. Mm-hmm. And uh, was happy with that for a while And then wanted to take two people with me Instead of one mm-hmm. <laughs> So I started a flying club mm. With the help of EAA Chapter 1218 Out of Willow Springs And the local Missouri Pilots Association And that was about a year and a half ago And then sold the Tomahawk And uh, had access to the 172, which was great fun. Um, but things changed, and I'm uh, on the move, more or less. We'll be leaving that area, so I had to sell my share in the club. And I sold my share in the club to um, a young man named Trent McBride, who is one of the Ray's scholarship recipients. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, Trent actually is the first Ray scholarship recipient to complete his private pilot training. So and that's pat- all because of UCAP. Yeah, okay. You're passing it on. Well, all right. <laughs> well, what are you going to replace the 172 with? Unfortunately, I pl- replaced it with an RV that's not an airplane but has wheels. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a low altitude, huh? <laughs> yes. It's easier oh, to move around RV, the hangar yeah. like that. Ah, I get it, RV. I get it. Okay. Uh, thank you, Pat. It's good You're to see you again. that way. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I am quick. Um, other questions? What's going on? Where are people from? I, I just I, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot exactly. All right, but uh, I'm, and I'm going to you're going to say it, and I'm going to try and repeat it. And so yeah, go ahead. Miami. You're from Miami. What's the name of your airport? Tamiami. Tamiami oh, Airport. Really, it's now Miami Executive. Miami, ooh, Miami <laughs> Executive. Yeah. Okay. What kind of flying? What do you fly? Uh, we're in a club with two bonanzas. Club with two bonanzas. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Um, Anybody else have any questions they want to ask us? We want to think subjects we should talk about or uh, no? Low-cost avionics. Avionics. Low-cost avionics. It's, you know, I I did a piece or just a quick editorial in uh, Aviation Safety last month talking about uh, uh, the people who went ahead and equipped with ADSB some time ago versus those who have stuck it out and, and waited and postponed and procrastinated. And the question I was trying to ask was, which of those two approaches was correct? Which, which was proven out with time? And, of course, my answer is both. Um, myself, I was more or less an early adopter. I've had ADSB out of my airplane for three-plus years now. Um, and I I've, I've enjoy the, the peace of mind, if nothing else, but... I also enjoy the greater accuracy and, and uh, the toys that, that come with uh, my particular installation. Um, those who waited and those who are still perhaps in the market for their ADSB solution um, have a uh, reasonable uh, reason to 
pat themselves on the back. There are some really cool products out there. Um, Garmin has come out now with with two um, uh, GPS navigators. One of them, um, uh, I believe, both of them actually. No, I just one. Of, one of them has ADSB out. Um, also has uh, uh, IFR approved GPS uh, with WAS, uh, touchscreen, moving map, all the bells and whistles. Another one um, is very similar, same physical size, um, is GPS only navigation with a moving map and and communications. There's no VOR. There's there's no other um, uh, bells and whistles on that device. And they're they're all they're both dirt cheap. We're looking at under five AMUs, I believe, for for acquiring them and plus installation, of course. Um, UAvionics has a has some really cool things. Uh, replace your tail light, your nav light, uh, with ADSB if you've got an existing transponder. There's a lot of choices out there. Is the is the quick answer, and um, one of the things, at least you know, Dave and I both spend some time looking at the avionics industry in, in detail, and one of the things that I think we would both agree on is it's going to continue to get. Uh, interesting in that in that market we can't take a, a Honda engine and put it in our airplane but we can take some of the technology from that Honda car and put it in our airplanes and that's a good thing the uh, the issue now for the folks that are still on the edge of the fence is not going to be getting the equipment <laughs> it's, right. it's not going to be it being extremely expensive it's going to be finding an installation slot and for those of you that haven't done it yet, if I could give advice to anybody, the uh, the simpler the installation process for what you buy, the quicker you're going to get it in. Then right now, that's the, the Uvionics wingtip and tail tip. They're beacons, uh, a Garmin product that plugs in between the transponder and the antenna and, and takes the code straight from the transponder antenna so you don't have to have a, a separate entry head. And... Uh, and, and it's going to get better. There's going to be more of it. But the FAA has already put all of us on notice. If you don't have it January 1, your uh, option is a flight-by-flight uh, waiver to get into the system. And they're really doing that for the air carriers. They don't want us using it, but we'll, we'll be able to. So uh, when this rule came out in 2010... I don't think anybody quibbled with the idea of waiting for the prices to come down because you know it was six, seven thousand dollars and up to comply back then. Now you can comply for under two thousand dollars with installation. Yeah, and the, ex- the the reasons for holding out have pretty much all disappeared. And if you want access to the Mode C airspace, you have access to now. Uh, you get on the stick. And you can probably order what you need here and have it waiting on you when you get home. I'm old enough to remember when uh, Mode C was first required yeah. uh, for what was then called TCAs. And uh, ATC would more or less routinely grant a waiver if you were, you know, especially if you were uh, uh, coming or going, if you were just transiting the airspace, they might, you know, get out of here and go somewhere else. But um, the, the point... I'm, really is that there was a transition there was a transition in equipage there was a transition in uh, in operations um we're going to see the same sort of transition here with adsb come january um and there will be be people who didn't don't equip and they'll be fine for a couple of years um presuming they don't have to fly near a, a, a bravo or or uh, into a charlie they're going to be just fine but What's really happened here is that ADSB now is a floor. It's the minimum equipment for a general aviation airplane. And if you don't have it, if you're trying to sell the airplane, for example, you're going to be at a disadvantage. And uh, that's, again, the sort of thing that happened 30, 40 years ago with Mode C. It's going to happen again. And whatever the next trick after ADSB in another 20 years, it'll happen to them also. When FAA announced this rule in May of 2010, it, it, 
we've been on notice for almost a decade now that this was coming. And bumped into a pilot and his, and, and his buddy yesterday cruising through one of the buildings. And the first question, how do you recognize my name on my little badge here? And uh, you cover this avionics. Well, I had my avionics new shirt on at the time. You, you cover this stuff. Don't you think the FAA is really going to bump that date some? And I said, you haven't been listening, man. You haven't been listening. That's been a consistent no answer as recently as Monday. Get on the stick. Yep, yep. A uh, bunch of P-51s taken off in the background. That's, that sounded great. I love that. Um, you folks have been listening to the podcast for a long time, so you know this voice. But say hello to James Winbrand, who just joined us here on the table. Hi. And hi, everybody. Great to be here. Yeah. Great to see this great crowd here. Thanks for coming this morning. Absolutely. Absolutely. James, what have you been up to this week? Anything fun? Hey, well, well, before, we, before we go that, you've also got a perspective on ADSB equipment. I do, because like all GA pilots who have access to an airplane they're responsible for, I needed to look into it and uh, put it off, hoping. I, I'm in the, uh, the hopers camp there from waiting and hoping. And uh, frankly, I was looking at the Aperio solution for myself uh, because it seemed uh, very simple. I already had the Aperio equipment, and uh, so... As we know, slots are getting tough. So last December or before, I made a slot with my shop and said, going to do the installation, so make room for me, and I think it's going to be the Apario. And, yeah, good choice. That's out there, uh, minimum stuff. Meanwhile, I had a larger issue, which was a steam gauge airplane that I didn't want to put a glass panel and dump a lot of money in when I'm getting essentially that same information on a four-flight pad, say, so and we're uh, looking at the slot and everything's going fine, and then it looked a lot finer when uh, the AEA had their convention and heard about the Garmin units that were referred to, the GNX 175-375. So a week later, it's sun and fun. I went by the booth there, talked to them, and yeah, that'll run your KFC 200. It'll work. I talked about my shop, C&W Arrow in New Jersey. Yeah, we know those guys. They'll be totally up on this. There won't be any supply problems. Talked to C&W. Good choice. Uh, scheduled to be installed next week when I get back from Oshkosh and I'm looking forward to it. I feel I'll have kind of a new airplane with my KFC 200 now being driven by all the GNS, the GPS approaches and things I couldn't do before. Uh, so I, that's my perspective. Uh, yesterday at the Innovators Breakfast, Dan Schwinn from Avidine was talking. He was citing the figures of business aviation and general aviation aircraft that have yet to be equipped. And he called what is going to be coming a free-for-all in terms of trying to find place to installs. And everybody I've talked about, like, what's going to happen on Jan 1? It's like, well, this ADSB thing, there's going to be a long tail of people trying to get compliance afterwards. And so that's what we're faced with. And the sooner you come up, with an idea of what you want to do, you sh should probably talk to your shop if they have some suggestions, but get a time and, uh, you know, have all the airspace available to you. That's that's kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, so uh, we are starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. Um, and uh, I, a couple of things I wanted to So um, the, many of you probably already know about the tie-down party. This is our, our uh, annual uh, UCAP uh, sort of, you know, beer bash and... Listener appreciation. Listener appreciation. We also have some soft drinks and, uh, and uh, we, we big bags of cheesy poofs and um, we have a nice time. It's, it's the only reason I still do that. I just enjoy that so much. Um, so uh, it's going to be, as usual, Thursday evening um, over at the uh, Northwest Pedestrian Gate, which is the gate that exits out near the Super 8 and Friar Tuck's restaurant. Um, and we'll be on the grass sort of just out. So this has become a thing this year. You're going to put this on record, right? I, I guess I am. Um, 
So what happened was we've been we've been on that spot for years. It was always kind of a forgiveness permission thing. We didn't really ask anybody. We just decided this is well. We were guests at the motel well, at first when we, we started. That's it. right. Early yeah. on, we were guests at the hotel, and so that's when we started to do it. And we'd just like fill a trunk of car full of beer, and we'd back it up to the to the edge of the grass, and we'd all just have a good time. And it worked great for years and years and years. Um, I, and I wasn't here, but I'm told that last year what happened. Because um, it's become a very popular spot. Those of you who have visited that spot over the years know that that, that piece of grass has become very, very popular, especially uh, throughout the air show and, and late in the afternoon. And so um, last year what happened, apparently, is that um, the, I believe a representative of the hotel, the Super 8, started circulating through the crowd, not just our crowd, but all the people who were there, asking people if they had a car parked in the lot and are you a guest of the hotel or, or a or a client, you know, a customer of, of Friar Tucks. And, and if you said no, then they said $10 parking, please. All right. Um, and that happened. Uh, and so we, th- we thought, well, that's, we don't like that exactly. Um, and so we spent some time searching around for an alternate location for the tie-down party. And for a variety of reasons, we've decided not to go with an alternative location. We like that spot. It's a great spot. The airplanes are taking off or landing right in front of us. And uh, um, it's, it's pleasant over there. And it's reachable both by people who are on the shuttle buses and by, well, by car. Um, so we're going to stay there, at least this year. All right. So we're going to be back over there. We may well be at exactly the spot that you're familiar with. We may be kind of around more of the back side of the hotel. We'll be there someplace Thursday evening, afternoon rather, starting in the afternoon, 6 p.m. Until we've drunk all the beer or can't stand it any longer or, or something like Or that. we're out at Cheesy Poofs. Yeah. So we will be there Thursday, 6 o'clock until whenever. Um, those of you who choose to drive over to that area, use caution. Um, speak to us afterwards. Maybe we'll have some suggestions on, on, on what you might do. But I'm afraid there's no great solution if you'd want to drive your car over there. Um, so just, just kind of use caution. Be advised. But the party's on, and we're going to have a good time. There's plenty of shuttle buses if you need to get over there that way. Um, what else? We're going to be back here doing this again, or some variation on this. Uh, hopefully, we will have learned from our mistakes on f- <laughs> Friday morning. When um, did that start? Learning from our mistakes. I know you're right. Uh, back here again on Friday morning. Uh, we uh, we're continuing to do dailies while we're here. Uh, I, we will do the big uh, live stream episode from the announcer stand on Sunday morning, like we usually do. Unfortunately, it's difficult for people to listen to be there in person, but you can listen on the stream, um, the uh, EAA radio stream, and of course, all these things end up in our, our uh, podcast feed um, pretty quickly afterwards. So, uh, I've got a question. Yeah. We're here at Home Built Headquarters in the heart of home building in all the world. How many of you all are building or have built an airplane for yourselves? Yeah. So, all right, that's great. What kind of airplane? Sonics? RV6A. RV6A. What was the other one over here? 6A. 6A. And it was another one? Okay. That's great. And how many of them are done? All of them. Awesome. Did you all fly those in? No? No? Right. Yours, you did fly yours. It's right park right out here. Okay, that's great. Congratulations. That's nice. Uh, anything else before we wrap this thing up? Sorry. You're working on the Sonics too, right? Sonics. I'm, I'm building a YX. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The progress for the last ten months has been next to non-existent. Uh, for some reason, completely beyond my comprehension. Uh, more magazines have been hiring me for more and better work and right at the moment at my age looking at the idea of cutting back my workload someday i'm not turning much of this down and that's that's what suffered is progress on the yx uh so one of the things i'm looking to take away from here this year is the inspiration that i always get from seeing similar airplanes finished seeing other airplanes finished looking at their panels their paint jobs and hopefully get fired up and uh, hopefully organize my work schedule in such a way that I'm able to put a couple of hours a day, three days a week in the project so that I can actually start to see movement. But at the moment, for anybody that cares, fuselage is done, the canopy's on, the wings are done, flaps and ailerons are done, the rudder baiters are done, the skeleton for the V-tails is ready to skin, and uh, they say mount the skeleton first so then they can trim the skins to fit the fuselage uh and from that point uh we'll pull the belly skins off start to uh put the control architecture in and a mixture for the tail and uh and then start the wiring 
Uh, so you're about 90% done and about 90% to go. I like to use 80. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeb, any final words here? Any thoughts? Anything? No, I accept to thank you all for coming out, especially yeah. uh, as far, from my perspective anyway, at an ungodly early time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you for your support. Thank you for being listeners, and uh, thank you for being here. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we we, we couldn't do it if, it if it wasn't for the feedback that we get from folks like you. Yeah, a couple of thank yous here while we've got people in person. Um, this is Jim G, who you name you here from time to time. Jim is instrumental in making the tie down party happen these days, um, and so we thank him. Jeff Ward couldn't make it here this year. Uh, he usually helps with that as well as a lot of other things he helps us with. Um, and a thank you to him. Um, let's see now. Uh, thank you to Charlie Becker. For, for giving us the space and for chatting with us earlier and for being just a great friend of the podcast for a long time now. Uh, James, thank you for sitting in for just a couple minutes. And uh, James has been in a bunch of the dailies already this this year, and uh, and uh, he'll 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 appear or or his voice will appear. More. Well, it's always a pleasure to have my voice heard here. <laughs> and uh, let's see now. That's Jeb Burnside. This is uh, Dave Higdon. I'm Jack Hodgson. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Well, I, I see a lot of people younger than me in here saying, if you want to get to my age and beyond, go flying, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. <laughs> and that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. <laughs> <laughs>